0: Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for that. Hey, before we dismiss children's ministry, uh, the kids' club this morning, uh, I do want to make a record, just recognize something. Um, Where's Corey at? Where? Hello, Corey. Everybody turn around and say hi, Corey. Okay. Can you stand up for a moment? Well, you just, you wanted to do that, didn't you? I could sense that right here. I could sense it. We were locking in on this. Okay. So Corey, um, we we talked about this morning because I could not remember, but um, it was a little over two years ago. Um, after uh, Kathy had um, been leading our kids club and she was ready to pass the baton, uh, I got a call from Corey and Noah and said, "Hey, I'll I'll take that on." And so we met over here at Memphis Pizza, and so and it was almost right. I, it felt like it was right, kind of once people were going back to restaurants and. You could um, freely eat at a table without covering, it. I guess, putting a mask on in between drinks and bites, right? So um, I remember us meeting together and talking about it. And so since that time, she's led. Um, but a couple months back, she let me know that she's going to be working on her own doctorate. So let's have a race to see who gets it, Daniel, you know, or Corey first, right? <laughs> um, and, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both hard, yeah. So, she'll be starting this fall working on her doctorate, and so um, it's, it's time for her to take a step back from that. It's hard to really manage all the things, plus full-time work, and so we are so thankful for your time. Thank you for taking this on. It was so beautiful that when, um, when it was time to look for somebody, I didn't even get a chance to ask anybody in the church if they wanted this. Y'all just volunteered, and, and, and we did it, and so that was... That was the best pizza I'd ever had before, right? So, can we? Uh, can you stand up, and give uh, Corey a hand, and her husband Noah, who also helped her quite a bit? He was a part of it. Thank you for that. Um, so we are looking for our next leader of Kids Club during uh, the morning. You, uh, the person who oversees that, is the. Person who oversees the nine o'clock time scheduling uh, training, providing the curriculum there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, we have a lot of capable people in our church until that time uh, like like all good pastor families, um, Cindy, my wife is going to jump in until the Lord provides uh, someone to oversee that so uh, get ready if you have abilities to teach uh, maybe maybe it's time to dust off some of those um, those teaching and children's ministry muscles, right? You may you may find us knocking on your door, right? And so um, we're so thankful. Thank you for your time. Okay, this morning, uh, Cindy, told me that the message this morning is creation versus evolution, kind of taking a look at this from God's perspective. Am I on the right wavelength with this? Okay. So that's what the kids are going to be learning in the Elementary Age Kids Club this morning. At this point, kids, you're now dismissed at Kids Club. And you have... You have one of the greatest teachers ever teaching you this morning. How do I know this? Because she has a teaching degree, and I remember making payments on that student loan. <laughs> of which we, I think it was about a year ago, we, we finally finished. Um, I think we had about $500 left on the payment from college, and, um, and then they just went ahead and forgave it. Of course, I was thinking, where was that several years before? But I guess it was too large. Hey, this is the last series. Uh, This is the last message. We've been doing a series on the Christian Sabbath and the Lord's Day. And um, my regret in doing this series is that we couldn't do it in succession three weeks in a row. It just didn't work out that way. We had uh, my wife's dad passed away, so that kind of broke it up. We had Mother's Day, so we couldn't package it three weeks, but we kind of spaced it out. But this is the third and final message on it. And I just want to remind you of a couple things on this topic. Um, I am always developing when it comes to this topic, Try, studying, restudying it through the years, trying to get comfortable. Um, this is a highly debated topic, and um, already some of you have come up and had some conversations with me. Thank you so much, and I look forward to more. I, hopefully, I say something today that at 4 o'clock today, when we're having a, the picnic tonight... And we're back here, by the way, just so you know, the picnic will be indoors, so you're not going to sweat, right? Uh, the bounce houses are going to be right out here for the kids, and then the ministry center, we'll have the table set up to eat. Um, but I look forward tonight to having more conversations about the idea of the Lord's Day and Christian Sabbath. This is something that I've been actually for my own self, developing through the years I didn't come from. I came from the where I cut my teeth in the theological world, it was really the idea of... Hey, we gather for church on Sunday, and, but there wasn't a, a lot of instruction. And so this is an area that I've been, um, through the years, been trying to refine and hone. And um, I still think I'm, um, I don't think I'm doing a great job on it, but I'm working on it. Here, so here's the last, here's kind of what's happening, the, the three messages all together. The first message, I really tried to expose basically the license wherewith we kind of Have where the license of we don't really think of this as the lord's day according to revelation 110 that john called it we we don't really sometimes as a whole in christianity take serious a kind of a day of rest so i try to expose and create some tension in that first message of the license that a lot of us kind of have that we don't really that in general in christianity we don't Treat it very serious. The second message, I really was trying to get to the idea of, I don't want to go over into legalism. So we looked at Jesus' life and how he treated the idea of the day of rest, the Sabbath day. And today we're going to look at some of the arguments, right? Some of the arguments that people go, okay, wait a minute. Nick, you're saying we need to think deeply about there being a Lord's Day. And then you're, think, you're saying that we should have some strong consideration of that fourth commandment, the day of rest going from what the Jews did on what Israel did with their Saturday has been moved potentially to a Sunday. Okay, Nick, but I've got a couple of scriptures I've been looking at, and help me with this. So we're going to look at that. By the way, um, I want to do a little quick review of what I've said so far, just in case there's any, um, you know, just so you kind of understand and kind of rehearse. So here's what we've talked about so far, right? Reviewing this series on the Christian Sabbath and the Lord's Day. What is this, when I say the word Christian Sabbath or Christian Sabbatarian, what that means is, someone is say, when someone says, I am a, a Christian Sabbatarian, what they're saying is that they believe that that fourth commandment that was on Saturday for the, for, the, for the nation of Israel is now in the new covenant that we can see that it is now something that happens on the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, the day that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that, it is, that that is now the Christian Sabbath, that God has a Christian Sabbath for Christians. It's a valid theological view. But when someone says, I'm a Christian Sabbatarian, they're saying that, that Sabbath day is now on Sunday. This is the Lord's day. This is Resurrection Sunday. And they see a direct link between the fourth commandment and that day. And I would say a valid view in Christianity, a valid view with our reformers, Right? Even in our confessional, state, even in confessional statements like the Westminster and the, um, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, it's there. So very valid. Also, there's another view that sometimes the Christian Sabbatarian would also call themselves a Lord's Day. But there's some people that would say, I'm a Lord's Day person, but not necessarily a Christian Sabbatarian, right? So just so you understand, when I say the Lord's Day, what I'm saying is there are some who would go... They see no difference between calling themselves a Christian Sabbatarian or a person who believes in the Lord's Day. They would use that very interchangeably in the way they describe what it looks like on Resurrection Day, on Sundays, what their life looks like. They, they would use those interchangeably. There are some who would not use that interchangeably, right? They're, for instance, I'll give you, so you know who, who's popular, right? Have you ever heard of John MacArthur, right? You all know who John MacArthur is, right? Um, so... If you asked a guy like John MacArthur and said, Are you a Christian Sabbatarian? He would go, No, right? He would say, No, that was for Israel, that was for Saturday. No, do you believe that there is a Lord's Day? Yes, I do believe there is a Lord's Day, right? Uh, but he would, he would uniquely say there's a different distinction. So, just so you understand the terminology that gets used out there, here's my hope and kind of deep in my soul. Whether you decide to go, you know what, I am identifying as a Christian Sabbatarian, or you are saying, man, I'm, a, um, I'm just a Lord's Day person. I don't see that, that the Lord's Day on Sunday is, has anything to do with the rest day Christian Sabbath or creation. I don't see any connection. Here's what I do want to strip away. We do see this idea that there is a day that John in Revelation 1.10 has pointed aside It's called the Lord's Day. It means like the Lord's Day. It's a day. And we are fooling ourselves, fooling ourselves. If we think we have processed ourselves in such a way that when God says, I give you a day to rest, that we wouldn't avail ourselves of the beauty of what God's given in a Lord's Day. For most of Christianity, it's a Lord's morning. That's what it really is. But it's not a Lord's Day. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, whether you're ready to call yourself a Christian Sabbatarian or you're not, and you're at least at the point of saying, I believe there is a Lord's Day. Now some, when we say the word Lord's Day, they get very scared that we're running into legalism. They get very scared that we're going to create all these rules that the the religious Pharisees had. But as you listen to last week's message, that's not what we're going for. Actually, even discussing that, I don't, I, that's not what I want for your life. In fact, Jesus comes in and he goes against and talks a lot about, hey, let's actually not add rules to what God has actually given his commands. And so Jesus actually undoes things. And he remember last week we talked about, or actually two weeks ago, about Jesus actually comes in and says, no, Sabbath was made for man. And it's not wrong to do good on the Sabbath. He's actually healing on the Sabbath. Um, so not necessarily a bad thing. Now I can tell you for myself, um, and in my own soul, I get so concerned for my own family and my church and for God's people that this idea of being under grace, walking in grace, does not mean that the commands of the Lord have no bearing. And I, I'm just telling you, from my own soul, and you can disagree, I still can't get over the idea in my study of Scripture and my study of reading and looking at church history, I still can't get over this idea that God gives us the moral law, the Ten Commandments, written on, written on man's heart, and that why would there be nine that we would say yes and amen to, but one we would go, eh, I just can't get over it. So I'm comfortable with myself saying, man, I believe that there is a Lord's Day. I believe it's the day of the Lord. And and I would say this, if if God were to providentially give a rhythm for Christians, what day would it be? I'm, I'm fairly confident I see enough material on the ground to go, man, the Lord's given Sunday. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, I went over to Nepal, right, to uh, for a mission trip. I really was trying to understand how the house church movement worked and how God can use that. I really was just theologically, because in some parts of me, theologically disagreed with it so it was it was very helpful uh, trip and you know it was really interesting all over nepal which is some of the fastest growing christianity on the planet in fact it became so big in its growth that the government started to persecute it guess what day the christians were gathering in nepal take a guess sunday sunday guess if you were to go around the globe and see what day are Christians gathering on, guess what day, by and large, in whole, churches gather, house church, churches that are more formalized like ours. Guess what day? Does anybody know? Sunday. Why is that? There's some material on the ground that I don't know if God people realize that Resurrection Sunday, the day that Pentecost happens, right? The, that this Resurrection Sunday... The early church started to meet on that day. The early church started to gather on that day. And yes, in the very beginning, Christians didn't have the luxury of having that whole day as a rest day. Society didn't work. That was the first day of many work days. But they did gather early in the morning. Sometimes they gather on sundown, what we call Saturday night, And Christians would start to fellowship and worship and study together and sing praises. And they would gather. And we do see this in in, in church history. A lot of people will go, well, hey, it was Constantine who actually made this where Christians could have a Christian Sabbath day. And I would say yes and no. Constantine did, for the Roman Empire, set off and create this day of everybody's off on Sunday kind of thing. But Christians were already doing that organically. They were already meeting, except those, but many of them didn't have the luxury of having the whole day. But I recognize something in God's providence and sovereignty. It seems as if there's enough material on the ground to go, okay, I know at creation man needs a rest. He needs a time to refocus on the Lord. He needs a time to meditate on the Lord. He needs a time to rest from his normal labors. He needs a time to encourage all those who he loves to be able to do the same thing. He needs a time of replenishment. And the Lord seems like he's done that. He's provided that. There's a rhythm. The saddest thing, I think, even to my soul, is that it seems like God's church really sees Sunday as a kind of a drive-by thing, right? Kind of like you drive by through a fast food joint, you go and you order through the box, you get what you want, and then you kind of take off. It almost seems like we've created that. And if you've been around any kind of church understanding or church growth movement, we had the Seeker Sensitive movement years ago where it basically told you as a church you need to have a 15, a 59 minute, um, um, church gathering, do it in 59 minutes, preach a 20-minute message, because people are consumers and they're looking for a certain type of experience, and then they want to be out the door and about their way. And then my thought is, man, we did that so much. I don't know if we did uh, if we actually help people at all. In fact, I think we maybe created a whole entire generation of church consumers, of church consumers. That's what we've done. So I wonder... I wonder if it would be different if we started to think differently about how does this day actually look like the Lord's day. So I tried to get across that in these other in these first couple of messages. I tried to place that there with you. A couple of other things I did in these first couple of messages um, is actually I think I just told you. Oh, actually, something I wanted you to kind of get across. When we say the day of rest, everybody thinks this. Here's what. We say, hey, day of rest. Everybody goes, yeah, it's got to be like, you know, okay. (sighs) Right? Now, is there anything wrong with a good, old-fashioned, Jesus-loving nap? No. Nothing wrong, right? You might be thinking, like, well, I already did that in your opening introduction here, Nick, so. But. When the Bible talks about rest, it's not talking about laziness. So, like what I'm doing this morning, I'm actually worshiping with you, right? That's what I'm trying to do. Um, I plan on going home and taking a nap unless my neighbor needs another mailbox worked on or something, right? I'm full intention to do it. If you come and you serve in a ministry here on a Sunday, that doesn't mean you're not resting. Resting doesn't mean just complete out laziness. Resting doesn't mean... That you can't go for a walk with your family. You can't go to the park. That, you know, Resting doesn't mean that nothing physical can happen in your life. Resting doesn't mean that if you're a police officer or you provide some kind of essential service. I've told you in kind of these first couple weeks, remember, even the Levites, they actually did work on the Sabbath day. There's things that they had to do. It's not saying that it's wrong to cook for your kids, right? It's, it's, they're probably going to want some food today. So... Don't think that rest means complete and utter laziness, but here's what we mean when we say rest. Even in Law of Moses, it means that the six days of how life looks, this seventh day looks a lot different. Meaning, the way you work those six, this day of rest is set aside, it is patterned and prepared for in such a way that you are free to enjoy it, free to rest, free to worship, free to replenish, free to love on the Lord and worship the Lord. That doesn't mean that, for instance, if you're supposed to Deuteronomy 6, right, that you teach your children, disciple them to love the Lord as you lie down, as you eat, as you walk. I don't think that you punt on Deuteronomy 6 because it's the rest day, right? I mean, like, for instance, if you've got little kids, they've got, I call it the wiggles, You know, there's nothing wrong with them going in the backyard and playing. There's nothing wrong with you having interaction. There's nothing wrong with you kicking a ball with them in the backyard. What I would say is this. The way it looks, though, is this. The six days of how we operate, we're trying to accomplish a lot of stuff, aren't we? We've got things that have got to be done. Accomplish. Get it done. Move through the emails. Accomplish this task. Do it. When I'm telling you, on the day of rest... It's a lot looser than that. It's that there's a lot of availability. See, people have asked me questions like, well, can I mow my lawn on Sunday? You know, what, and, and what I don't want to get to this idea of just so much legalism where it's like, I can and can't, I can and can't. But well, what I want to get to is this. Okay, if you want to mow your lawn on a Sunday, the question I want to ask you is this. What if someone gets in the way of you mowing your lawn? Would it start to annoy you? Would it be upset? Do you look at your lawn and think, oh, if I don't get that done today, then I would say, you're probably not resting, but let's say you took a nap and you woke up, and the, the, the way that you sing and enjoy God the most is when you're mowing, and has nothing to do with accomplishment as much as it is. It's, a, it's like you just enjoy it, right? Or you're a person who works in front of a computer all weekend, and then you've, you've woken up from a nap, or you've, you've decided to go out and just do some woodwork, right? And it's not work, it's actually something where you can praise the Lord and think about Him, and think deeply about Him. Leave that to your individual conscience. But but I do want to warn us that the way we operate on that rest day must look different from the other six days. And you'll know whether that rest is really about loving God and loving others is because if someone gets in your way, you will freak out. You'll just freak out. So... I don't want to go legalistic with this, but I also don't want to keep running in this area of license. So, for instance, for my household, in which, by the way, I'm not the standard, it's these things where I'm trying to figure out, okay, like this is me from my own conscience before the Lord. Um, y'all do know I have a conscience, right? Are y'all aware of that? Okay. Like, do, do, are, do we all know that we have a conscience? Are we all aware of this? Okay. So, for, for, for me, it it damages my soul to go and buy something on a Sunday. I'm just telling you it does. Now, if, I, if, you, know, if you see me walking into Kroger, you know, I mean, you can pull up Honkahorn Horn and then put it on Twitter, like, look at Nick, you Sabbath violator, right? If, know that if you see that, things must be pretty bad, right? I mean, anarchy is going on. I just don't like it. And here's the reason is in my soul, I, I don't think I'm loving my brother when I do that. I think that I'm perpetuating a cycle of no rest for my for my society and community when I'm doing something that it, that doesn't have to happen that day that Nick should have prepared his household and family. Now, am I going to go over there and you know smack your debit card out of your hand if I see you walking up into Kroger you know am I circling around Walmart right which by the way, please, friend, do not go to Walmart on the weekend, right? Just save yourself all right. It's just, Terrible place to be. But you got to come before the Lord. And you got to ask the Lord, what does rest look like for my family? What patterns are we setting? This is a day that we can go, we should look forward to. We should wake up on the Lord's Day and go, man, we've prepared. We get to sing the Lord, worship the Lord, have family conversations. And I'm honestly, the, the hardest thing about Sunday is actually that thing, right? I've dropped it harder five times than that this whole week, so don't worry. It's this thing. What would it look like if we were to take the Lord's Day and go, you know what? My other six days, there's a lot of this, right? Can I get an amen or oh me? (laughs) And what if we were to go, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to unplug on the Lord's Day so that I can be okay with being bored in the moment because boredom is an opportunity to connect with the Lord and connect with my family? What if we actually just talk to each other today? So, for instance, um, years ago, someone gave us a hot tub, right? Um, I, they gave us a hot tub, and when they asked us, do you want a hot tub, I said no, because I just thought, ah, you know, that's just a lot to mess with. And I told Cindy, hey, someone wanted to give us an you know, a, a, a old hot tub. I told them I wasn't interested, and that was apparently the wrong answer, right? just like what is man what's wrong with you where's get the hot tub so we got the hot tub right so for instance we talked last night that after we have the, the picnic here tonight right and after we clean up and everything let's go home and let's all get in the hot tub together and what would the hope be the hope the hope would be oh you sabbath violator you're you're having fun no it would be hey let's get in the hot tub let's Let's put away the devices and let's just talk to each other, right? And what better way to talk to each other than with nice, warm, bubbly, you know, water going on around you? What am I telling you? I'm trying to say that there's a rest day with God and God's people that we've lost. That everything is crowding us out. And here's what I love about the scriptures. God has given you permission to go, no, no can't do that today this is a day of reflecting meeting with god's people it's a day of meeting with my family it's a day for loving god and loving others this day looks totally different from the other six by intentionality and unless i'm providentially hindered that's the way i operate on this day so you're not violating the sabbath when you bring a meal on you know like tonight you think well i'm a sabbath violator because i'm bringing a meal tonight. No, that's not a violation, but i tell you this. If whoever is the main meal cooker, you know, is that even a word? Meal cooker? It's probably not even a real word. But if you're the main one who's doing all the preparing, for instance, if mama's been preparing meals all six days of this week, and there's a meal to bring tonight at four o'clock, well, guess what we should probably do? If, you know, husband and kids should probably go, oh, wait a minute. You know, this is her this, this is her normal six days. Let's go ahead and relieve her of that. Well, it looks a little bit different. This is a great day to love others, so, you know, mama, go ahead and, and take a nap. We're, we're going to prep and bring a meal here for tonight. So this is what I've been trying to communicate in these first couple weeks, um, you know, what it means to, to, to rest. It's not absolute and utter laziness, but it should look holy and set apart and different and recognize our children. Lord help us, I want our children, I want my children, I want your children, I want your grandchildren to have something inculcated in their souls that when Sunday comes, they know that day is different from the other six, so much so that it would be foreign and abnormal to not do that as they have their own children and as they create their own families, you know, and I don't know if we're getting that. I don't know if we're getting that. I am fearful. They, they say this thing of, well, when someone graduates from, from high school, they graduate from their faith. That may be somewhat true. but And then there's all these sort of things that people say. The reason they go, they go well, the church isn't relevant enough. That's why that's happening. I don't know if that's true. I wonder, as parents, have we created such an understanding that the Lord's day is the Lord's day? Now, I've been in ministry a long time. I've been in ministry for decades, Right? Over two decades, and I've seen many come and go. I've seen many graduate from high school and college, and some follow the Lord and some don't. But you know what I've rarely seen in most of those instances and situations? Rarely have I seen those graduates, rarely, come from families where that family said, Sunday's a different day, and it's the Lord's day. Not the Lord's morning, it's the Lord's day Rarely have I seen families create this rhythm where the rest of life paused and connecting with each other and God became the sole focus, connecting with their church. I saw this so much that even in my beginning years of ministry, I mean, you come on a Sunday morning and when you came to Sunday night, do y'all remember Sunday night church? Y'all remember having Sunday night church? Y'all remember those days? Or has it been so long ago y'all can't even remember? (laughs) You remember that we would have maybe half of the church show up on a Sunday night, right? Half of it. It just wasn't the Lord's day for a lot. So that's what I've been trying to cover. That's just a little bit of what I've been trying to encapsulate and cover these first couple weeks. Now I want to show you a couple of scriptures because at this point people would go, Nick, i got a couple of scriptures that I have a problem with that when I read it, I think this is completely bogus. This whole day of the Lord's Day, this whole day of a day of rest, or even the idea of a, a Christian Sabbath, I think it's complete baloney. By the way, as a side note, I had baloney for the first time in like a decade. And you know what? The last week. It's not so bad. I digress. 1 Timothy 1.8, let me show you something. I'm just saying, if you haven't given it a, a try, give it a try. Man, we used to eat so much bologna growing up. Do y'all remember fried bologna? Man. I'd be willing to bet you if you opened up a restaurant that only did fried bologna, it'd be so revolutionary to the palate of this generation. You'd franchise it out, man. <laughs> what's that? Does already have it somewhere? Ha! All the ideas, my ideas, the good ideas are already taken. I enjoyed the bologna so much I've been really contemplating spam. Do y'all remember spam? Man, wasn't that good? Right, right. I mean, it's probably a terrible amount of sodium, but um, man, that's next up. Look at First 1 Timothy 1. eight. Paul says this, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Well, the commands of God, the Ten Commandments, are good if one uses it lawfully. When you look in Jesus' life, he was correcting, when it came to the day of rest, he was correcting how unlawfully they were using it. And what some people will do with God's law is they'll use it in such a way that they add things to it and make it legalism, or they completely punt and go to license. Now, what's interesting, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Look in verse 9. Know this. The law is not made for a righteous person. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, by the way, that's me, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the godless, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexual moral persons, for homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the gospel, the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted, he said. So he says this, the law is good. The law actually helps you to know your sin. The law actually helps you to point you to God's standard. So it's good if used rightfully. What I don't want us to do is to take the law of God and use it in a legalistic fashion. I want us to take the law of God to point us to this is where we fall short. This is God's standard. And I'm telling you, I saw this recently. I, there was someone who was talking and I said, I said, actually this has happened several times. But I had said something about, well, according to God's law, that's actually stealing. And then the person in response said, huh, never thought about it, right? I operate under the law of love, and so I just never thought that that was stealing. Now, what, what did that person in that moment, what happened? The simplicity of just God's law helped to bring conviction to them in the moment and help point them. For instance, God's law is so beautiful and helpful. It creates such a great guardrail and boundary. It's not a way to earn righteousness. It's not a way to earn salvation, but it is a way to show us our need of a Savior. So it's good if used lawfully. During Jesus' day, they did not use it lawfully. They used it wrongly. They used the law as a way to earn their own righteousness. They added extra rules to it in such that when Jesus comes on the scene and he operates on the rest of the day, they have a problem with what he's doing. So I want to put that on the outset. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures that people ask about. Go to Colossians 2.16. Here's one that comes up when we talk about a, the fourth commandment, a day of rest. And I've told you before, the fourth commandment that was given in the law of Moses, that fourth commandment, I think we see evidence that that commandment of rest was already there way before that because when the command is given, the fourth commandment is given, it points back to creation, right? And that's in Exodus chapter 20. Now here's what some people would go to. Go to chapter 2 verse 16. It says in Colossians 2 verse 16, Therefore, no one is to judge you in food or drink or in respect to festivals, to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So I've had some people go, Nick, you got, you can't talk about this day of rest, a Sabbath day of rest, Lord's day. I mean, just cut that out because here it says, let no one judge you. So it's, it's kind of freed here. Don't, Don't talk about it. We're judging each other. You just decide whether or not this is a take-or-leave-it kind of thing. Well, a couple things I want to point out to you. One, when you look at verse 16, the context of the Colossian book of Colossians is he's warning against Gnosticism. He's warning against all these different kind of corruptive things. And, And this text from verse 16 to verse 23, he warns against several errors that are happening. One is... Legalism, that's verse 16. Another is mysticism, you see that in verse 18. And another is asceticism, thinking that you're earning God's righteousness by denying yourself things. That's verse 20 through 23. Now when you go back to verse 16, you understand that in the early church, they had, you had Gentile Christians and Jewish Jewish people becoming Christians, and there was a lot of intermixing, and it, it was really difficult because in the early church, a Jewish person who's raised Jewish, because they came to faith in Christ, it wasn't uncommon for them to go through the typical Jewish Saturday Sabbath, and after that at sundown, they're now meeting together with the church. And, and then some would go, that's wrong. I would go, well, depending on their conscience, let, let no one judge you. you. You might, as a first century monotheistic Jew who's come to Jesus but raised up, to at sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, you were gathering in the synagogue, that might have been a hard thing for you to give up or that rhythm of what you had in life. So if you went ahead and did that, that was not an uncommon thing that was done. So when you look back at the text, therefore let no one judge you in food or drink in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. What was trying to happen is the Judaizers were trying to add to... um, the gospel and say, you know what, you're not really saved unless you actually do observe the Sabbath day. You know what, you're not really saved unless you do obey the dietary laws. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. It's Jesus plus nothing else. And so Jesus is preeminent. He is the head. Therefore, no one should judge you in regard to festival, new moon, Sabbath day. Look at verse 17. These things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There'd be a lot of um, theologians that would say, actually verse 16 is referring, referring more to the ceremonial laws that Israel had, and that those were but shadows, but yet there were ceremonial things that you still find early Christians doing. For instance, when you get over into Acts, and remember Peter, remember when the sheet of unclean animals dropped down, and the Lord says, eat, and what does Peter say? No, Lord, right? What is that telling you? That he was still obeying the Jewish dietary laws. Just because he became a Christian doesn't mean he dropped his Jewishness, right? So the, the, the thing he's trying to get across here is a person's not saved by keeping the, the ceremonial laws. He's not saved by that. But let's not judge each other in that. Because as, as a first century, century monotheistic Jew raised up with a certain tradition, you might not actually go ahead and start eating pork. You might go ahead and deny the bacon or the bottom dwelling sea, you know, sea creatures. You may still actually walk in that. Let's not judge each other in that or add that to salvation. So I don't see a prohibition. I see a uh, verse 16 of actually having a Lord's day. I see actually more of a warning of trying to take the ceremonial law and place it as some kind of extra adding to salvation kind of issue. Now, When you go through the rest of the text, you find in verse 18 a warning against mysticism. And then verse 20 through 23, a warning about asceticism, which is thinking that if you deny yourself, you're more godly. But I don't see in the text of verse 16 a prohibition of having a Lord's Day. Now, go to Ephesians chapter 2. By the way, let's talk more at 4 o'clock, right? Actually, you can talk to me after church. I'm just trying to get you back here at 4 so I can fellowship with you. Verse 14. Look at verse, actually, two verse 13. Here's another verse that would go, uh-uh, Nick, you see this? You can't be talking about the fourth commandment. You can't be talking about this because of this text. Now, let's look at it. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of the partition. Now, if you read earlier, you're going to start to see that there were Jews and Gentiles, the circumcised, the uncircumcised. They're now one in the body of Christ. There was a partition wall between them. When you looked at the nation of Israel, they had certain ceremonial laws that set them different from all the Gentile nations. But now in Christ, that dividing wall is broken down. Now look in verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity... The law of commandments contained in, what does it say? Ordinances. I believe what he's referring to here is the idea of the ceremonial commandments. That these ceremonial commandments, such as sacrificing at the temple. This was something different that the Jews did from the Gentiles. That, and, the, and the dietary laws. These were things that created a big difference between Jew and Gentile. These have now been broken down. The ceremonial law has been completely fulfilled and what we would say abrogated because Jesus is the final fulfillment of all those ceremonies, right? All the sacrifices that Israel did, those aren't needed anymore because the final sacrifice, Christ, has come. So some will look at this and go, No, Nick, you can't talk about the law of commandments because they've been done away with. The fourth commandment is done away with. And I would go, I don't, I think that's really actually referring to the ceremonial side of commandments, not the moral side of commandments. Now do this, go over to Romans 14. Another argument that some would go. Romans 14. We won't read the whole passage. We don't have time for that. We got to go home and nap. Amen. Amen. By the way, I I joke around a lot about napping because that's the hardest thing for me to do, right? So, um because I think I've got to be productive and keep doing. Okay, um, we'll start in verse 5. He says this, One person judges one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So some would go, "Uh uh-uh, Nick. There can't be a day of the Lord or a special day that the Lord set aside that Christians even think because here it's saying one person uh, uh, judges one day above another another regards every day alike there there seems to be no distinction here well keep reading with me verse six he who regards the day regards it to the Lord he who eats eats for the Lord but he gives thanks to God and he who does not eat eats for the Lord but does not eat gives thanks to God for not one of us lives to himself not one dies to himself if we live we live to the Lord if we die we die to the Lord. Therefore. Whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Then you keep going down and you see this law of liberty that's given in chapter 14 of this kind of idea that if something we're doing is going to be a stumbling block to another brother, we should love them more than ourselves and, and back off. Now, when you go back up to verse five, people will go, what? This shows you that every day is the same, but really, there's really no set aside day. when, when, when John says, on the Lord's day, he doesn't have a distinction of a certain day. And I would go, when you come to this text, you realize we've got Jew and Gentile together. Some of these Jews believed that the Sabbath day was still a special day, and they treated it as such. And if their conscience was there on that, then you shouldn't talk them off of it, right? And then they would come over and come to meet with the Christians. Also, there, there were some pagans, some Gentiles who came who Sometimes there were certain days that just from their, up, their, their Gentile upbringing they thought were special days. Paul's point is this. If a, person is, if a person thinks that it's wrong to eat a certain kind of food, especially those who come from a Jewish background, while I'm with them, I'm not going to defile their conscience or talk down to them. I'm going to let their conscience work. Whatever they do, they've got to do in faith. There is some gray area But if you are, but if your conscience is not seared by, it might be okay, but you might have to die to that liberty so that you can love that person. I don't think what he's saying here, there isn't anything as a Lord's Day. What he's saying is, there's a lot of different people coming into the church, especially from a Jewish background, and some may regard that as still a special day, and there needs to be respect for that. There doesn't need to be a pushing on them to go against their conscience. Now let me show you another text here. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. By the way, these are some of the ones that, that people would say, I don't think there's a day of the Lord. Now, go over to Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to end with this. And by the way, maybe I've created more questions. But I don't, I don't see that Colossians 2, Ephesians 2, Romans 14, I don't see that those prohibit this idea of a day of the Lord. And I'm telling you, honestly, church, I've been looking at this for decades. This is just where my soul is. There's so much evidence on the ground that God has patterned and rhythmed a creational idea that man needs a day of rest for replenishing, rest, renewal. And by the way, just so you also understand those texts that we look at, did you know that Israel had more than one day of Sabbath a week? Did y'all know that? Did you know that some of their festivals actually had extra off days, right? Don't y'all love that? Does anybody like extra off days? Any y'all like having that extra Monday? or I, Actually, next week you get Monday off, right? Memorial Day weekend, right? Some people get that. Well, in Israel, some of their festivals actually started on, on, on a day that wasn't a Sunday. And some of those festivals you actually had, that was a Sabbath day. So even when you look back at some of these texts we were looking at, some of these early Christians who were Jews would sometimes still use those in the middle of the week, wherever that, that feast started, they would still use that as a Sabbath rest, of which they've been commanded to do in Leviticus twenty-three for, for all of family, for all of kind of millennia, right? And you were not supposed to talk them down off that. Their conscience was still saying, "You know what? We've got the, we've got the, we've got the atonement starting, and we've um, the um, Yom Kippur is starting, and we're going to take the first day of Yom Kippur, and we're going to actually use that as a Sabbath as well." You, you wouldn't try to talk a person off that. You Now, you'd you talk them off of counting on a sacrifice, but if they felt like they needed to take a day of rest and reflect on the Lord for that day, and that was a rhythm, you wouldn't try to talk them off that. That's some of the things I think we're talking about in places like Colossians and Ephesians and Romans. Now, I'll end with this. And this one disturbs me a little bit, and I'm still chewing on it. Look in verse 8 of chapter 4. Why is there a good... Of all these reasons, I kind of cap off this message. You know what's really great about having a day of rest? We only need it because that's how God made us. It's a day of worship, reflection, connecting with our family, with our church body, doing good. It's made for us. But did you know that having a rest day helps us to long for heaven. It helps us to long for heaven. You ever feel like you're too busy to anticipate that the Lord's going to return? That's why that, that's one of the reasons the Sabbath is still here. Because when you do have your day of rest, the next day you're going to get tired. Why is that? Because the ultimate rest isn't here yet. That's why six days later, God's going to say, I'm going to give you another rest to remind you there's an ultimate rest to come. Jesus is the ultimate rest. And one day he will bring us into heaven in eternity and give us a rest. Now, what's interesting, look in verse 8 as he's discussing some of these things. In verse. One through, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, verses 1 through 7, he's talking about this rest, this heavenly rest that's to come, that's not quite here. And if you look at the rhythms of the Old Testament, it was constantly God trying to give Israel a rest, right? And then Israel basically punts on God's rest. Have we all noticed that, right? They punt on God's rest. And God's continued to try to give them rest. He gives them the ultimate rest, which is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the true Sabbath. And then notice what he says in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua brings them in the promised land, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Meaning, you remember when they get brought to the promised land, Joshua leads them in, right? After 40 days in the wilderness, Moses dies off, Joshua brings them in. He says, guys, notice something. That wasn't it. Heaven didn't start right now. Joshua didn't bring them to the ultimate rest. Why? There's one coming someday. Now look in verse 9. So there remains a... What does it say right there? A Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, here's what's interesting. I don't quite know what to, to do with all of this. When you look in the, here in the Greek, this is a noun, not a verb. A lot of times when it talks about the Sabbath, it's used in a verb form, but here it's used in a noun form. There'd be many that would say, Hey, This is actually writing to a Jewish crowd, right? Saying, Jewish Christians saying, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Some would say, you, you first century Jews, now become a Christian, ethnically Jewish. Hey, know this. There is a noun, sabbatismos, the only noun form used in the Bible, in the New Testament, for Sabbath, there is now a Sabbath rest. There will be some, like A.W. Pink. Let me, let me. Um... Oh, I threw my phone away. I, like... I know what you're thinking right now, you commandment breaker. See, don't be a legalist. I'm trying to do good on the Sabbath. Let me read you what A.W. Pink says about this verse. Here then is a plain, positive, unequivocal declaration by the Spirit of God. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath keeping. Nothing could be simpler, nothing less ambiguous. The striking thing is that this statement occurs in the very epistle whose theme is the superiority of Christianity over Judaism, written to those addressed as holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. He says, therefore, it cannot be gained, it cannot be said that Hebrews 4-9 refers directly. Herefore, it can be said that Hebrews 4 9 directly refers to a Christian Sabbath. Hence, we solemnly and emphatically declare that any man who says there is no Christian Sabbath takes direct issue with the New Testament scriptures. I have to tell you, verse 9 stirs me a lot every time I read it. Thinking, okay, it's using noun form as if. It's something that exists. I can't get over that he even mentions this. Lord, what am I doing? Lord, is there a Lord's Day still? Are we doing right by this? By the way, look in verse 10. For one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did with his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. One of the things I love about this passage is the noun form in verse 9 makes me kind of pause and go, maybe it still does exist. And furthermore, when you look earlier in chapter 4, the rest that we get is actually meant to point us towards heaven. Today, as we rest, we're actually to get excited about heaven. When we come to this day and we think, oh man, like, I've prepared for it. I mean, I, this is made for me. Man, we need this. I can do good. It's a day to freely love others. It's a day of freely giving of myself. It's a day of freely enjoying the Lord. I don't, have to do the, I don't have to do the six days of work underneath the thorn. I can now have actually a day of like resting in the Lord. It creates a hunger for eternity. It does. And I'm concerned that we don't have that. Can we pray together over this? Stand to our feet. Let's pray together. Thank you so much. Church, you're amazing that you would even bear with me in these messages, that you would consider it. I think, these are, I think this is a terribly difficult passages and topic to even talk about. I hope I'm not confused. I hope I've created questions. I hope that you'll pray for me because I'm still trying to work this out in my, in, in my own sanctification. But I hope you've been stirred. Husbands and wives, I hope you'll talk as a family about this. I hope if you've got a hot tub, you'll sit in it and talk about how are we actually resting in the Lord, right? I hope that you have lunch conversations. I hope that we actually do something with this. If you're single, I hope you you would talk about family. I, I would hope that you'd be around family. I hope that you'd have conversations about what does it look like to rest in the Lord on this day. Could we go to him? Thank you for your word. Thank you that we could have a time, and if there's someone who doesn't have that rest, they know that they're hanging over the precipice of hell. They know if they were to die today, they wouldn't be with Jesus. May, may today, this become their day of rest. But God, for the rest of us, we're, we need help. This is, this is a day that isn't restful for many of us, and some of us were confused about this. Sometimes there's not even a unity in our home about what this day should look like. God, help us. Help our church body. Let all that name Collierville Bible Church as their home. May this be a day that can be accurately said of our households and our church. This is the Lord's day. God, we need your help and insight. We're so insufficient on this. Would you help? Now, bless the time as we pass out communion during the song, as we take the Lord's Supper. Let it be the reminder that our soul needs, we need this on the Lord's day. Help us. And God's people said,